Hey, this is Caleb Cole, pastor of Project Church in Sacramento. And man, I am so excited for you to hear this word. I believe God is going to encourage you, strengthen you, and challenge you through it. So get ready to receive from God today. Thanks, bro. Appreciate you, man. Yes. Well, good morning, Project Church. Let's go. How we doing? Nice. Yeah. Well, I don't know if you guys knew this, but Caleb had a nickname in college as well. And uh, his nickname was not the Rifleman. His nickname was Jerry Curl for, for obvious reasons. Yeah, there'd be times that we'd be at games and then all of a sudden people would just start chanting Jerry Curl, Jerry Curl. It was great. I know he loves that nickname. But uh, hey, we're gonna put a picture up here of my family. Just wanna like, uh, have you guys meet my family, my amazing family. It's my boy, Ryson, my daughter, Eliza, my lovely wife, Allison. And uh, that picture was taken at Disneyland. This was just taken a few months ago, which is known as the happiest place on earth. That's a lie. It's not true. Um, parents, why do we do this to ourselves? If you've ever been, you know, that's, you know it's the, the most stressful, most expensive place on earth is what it really is, okay? I think this was the one time, the whole time we were there that we were all smiling at the same time. So we definitely had to get a picture of that. It was, it was just fantastic. Um, but hey, before we get into this real quick, I just want to just remind you guys of how good you have it here at Project Church. I've known Chrissy and Caleb for a long time. I've known Caleb for almost 25 years, actually. Um, And I've met a lot of pastors, a lot of church leaders. I've been at a lot of churches. And usually you get kind of like one of two things. You either get kind of leaders and pastors that are super genuine, very compassionate, caring, authentic, great people, but lack sometimes, um, aren't always the great, aren't, like, aren't always the best communicators, aren't super polished, aren't necessarily great leaders as far as like how to lead a church. Or you have people that are like really know how to lead a church, the systems, the strategies, super polished, great communicators, but then lack some authenticity, aren't the most caring, compassionate people. And then every once in a while, you find a gem that they have both of that. And that is Caleb and Chrissy. So let's hear it for them. So I know you guys have been in a series in Genesis. And what I love about going through the Bible or going through books of the Bible, kind of verse by verse, chapter by chapter, is that it forces us to confront kind of some uncomfortable, complicated type things. Like it forces us to confront like some controversial type of subjects. And I know you guys have done that here. You guys don't shy away from this kind of stuff. I know you guys have talked about um, like creation, identity, a little bit of Roe v. Wade stuff in there, taking care of the earth, pollution, all these sorts of things. And for whatever reason, that's not always easy to talk about in church. And today is gonna be one of those things. We come to an uncomfortable, complicated scripture that we're gonna tackle today. So this should be pretty fun. So let's go ahead and pray. God, again, thank you so much for today. Thank you that we get to worship you, that we have the freedom to do that. Thank you for this great church here in Sacramento. Pray that your kingdom would continue to move here, come to Sacramento as it is in heaven. God, um, we pray for the Sacramento Kings. And um, God, we know that you are the King of Kings. And so we pray, God, spare these people from their suffering, Lord. It's, it's been going on far too long. This is the year, maybe. We proclaim that in the name of Jesus. Everybody said, amen, amen. amen. Dang, that was, that was a good prayer, especially, especially that last part. And so if it happens, you know. It all started right here, okay? Prayers of a righteous man. Anyways, 
So this past uh, week, the, these last few days, I was out in Truckee, California with some guys. Um, you know, the Hallmark Christmas town of Truckee. Have you guys ever been there before? I think I saw Candace Cameron Bray walking around. Um, she met one of the local postmen who also plays Santa Claus in the... Some of you get that. Some of you are like, what is he talking about? You'll find out later, okay? But so we were there, and it was great. Like, we, we played some golf, great company with the guys. Man, the food was delicious. The weather was just amazing, except for like four hours one day. But besides that, it was just like awesome. It was like this near heaven on earth experience that you could, like if my family was there, it would have been like heaven on earth, just, just this complete utopian kind of experience. So I think on one side, you have this like garden-like experience where there's joy and there's peace and there's beauty. But then on the other hand, I think we could all agree that there's this ongoing dysfunction going on in the world where there's terrorism, there's famine, there's lack of clean water, there's rape, there's human trafficking, there's terrible stuff taking place. I know here in California, there's fires happening. I know in the Midwest, there's rain and flooding and mudslides and devastation that way. And then, man, on the plane here, a couple rows in front of me, there were people on their iPad watching the Kardashians. Like, that's, like, that's still a thing. Like, that's, that's still going. Like, after all these years, that's still what we're doing. If you do that, no judgment, but still, it's like, this is, these are the things that are happening. And I think we, we live in this tension that God created the world and said that it is very, very good. But then there's this tension that there's this, like, evil and these things that are happening. With all of our science, with all of our technology, with all of our government, this is still what we're left with? But it's not just out there. It's also in here. Like, why do I all, like, why do I feel anxiety and stress and worry and chaos? So it's not just out there, but it's also in here. Why is that? And as we come to Genesis 3 today, it's going to help answer and tackle some of these questions. Now, this is a very odd, weird, complicated section of the Bible that we're going to read today. There's two people walking around this garden, and they're completely naked, and there's a snake conversing, talking with these people. And no matter how you read this, like some read this as a, like it is a literal story. It happened exactly how it says. Some may read this and say, no, it's a little bit more metaphorical. Like the lesson behind it is true. Like it's about good and evil and the human propensity towards certain things and all the lessons are there, but it maybe didn't happen exactly how it says. And I'd say no matter how you read it, I don't think it matters the reality is that this is a real story. Real events took place. It is the word of God. It is in scripture and it is inspired by God. So however you read it, this is the most deep, profound, and intelligent insight we have into the human condition and the problem of evil in this world. So let's get started. Genesis chapter three, verse one. It says, now the serpent or snake was more crafty. Love that word or devious, conniving, than any of the wild creatures the Lord God had made. Now notice, the story doesn't tell us where the snake came from. There's some context and there's some background that we kind of miss out on. And now what I'm about to say next might be the most controversial thing I say, but stay with me. I'm not a big Star Wars fan, okay? I know, I know, okay, yikes. Man, I really offended people with that one. But, but here's the thing. It's because the first one I saw was the fourth one. 
Like it starts with number four? Like there's missing background and context and it's like, why are they shooting each other? Why are they like sword, like saber fighting or whatever it is? Like, why are they doing, like who's the good guy? Who's the bad guy? I don't know because there's context that we miss out. And as we come to Genesis three, it's, it's kind of a similar thing. There's some background and context that we miss. Like why a snake? Why is he there? How did he get there? Why is he talking? And I think the point is this, there is a mystery behind evil that the Bible does not even attempt to solve. So let's keep on reading. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, well, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You won't certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So in a garden full of yeses, eat from any tree you want. There's thousands. There's just this one, it's over there. You have to pass several to even get there. You might have to go out of your way to get there. Just don't eat anything from that tree. I mean, you are naked in a garden full of, do whatever you want, but there's just this one little thing right here. It's like when I tell my nine-year-old son, hey buddy, no more screen time. The one thing he fixates on is the one thing that he cannot do. In a house full of yeses, go jump on the trampoline, go swimming, grab a snack, play with your toys, go outside, turn left, walk 50 steps, you're at a park with slides and a swing. In a house full of yeses, fixated on the one thing that he cannot do. So let's look at what the snake does here in the story. First thing the snake does is he questions God's word or God's command. Did God really say? Are you sure God said that? Did, did you misinterpret that? Like, I don't think that's what he really meant. Like, that's probably like for a different time, but not now. Like, did God really, really say that? Secondly, he questions God's love. There's that line in verse five. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. God's not a loving father, are you kidding me? Like he's controlling, he's kind of petty, he's insecure, he's micromanaging. Like if he really loved you, he would let you do whatever the heck you wanted. Like he wants you to be happy, right? So he should let you just live your life however you want. Man, God's super insecure, geez. And then third, he questions the nature of good and evil. He claims that what God said would bring destruction will actually bring you life. God says, hey, I'm good, the tree is bad. Satan says, the tree is good, God is bad. And then temptation for Eve is for her to decide for herself what is good and what is evil. You get to play the role of God in your own life. You know better, Eve, come on. You see, the, the temptation is not for us to become more like Satan. It's not. The temptation is for us to become more like our own God. That's what the temptation is. The temptation is that she knows what's best based on her thinking, her feeling, her background. Trust yourself, Eve. Go with your God. You don't need to trust God. You got this. And we face the same temptation every single day. You see, 500 years ago, no one questioned the basic tenets of the faith. 
like God is Jesus, Jesus is God, Jesus paid the penalty for your sin, he's back from the dead, and put your trust in him. The Bible is the complete inspired word of God. Nobody questioned that, nobody doubted that. But today, even the most devout followers of Jesus live with uncertainty and doubt. Because we live with Google, Siri, Alexa, like everything is called into question. And that's not necessarily all bad, but the temptation is really the same. Did God really say? Did he mean that? Are we misinterpreting that? Does the Bible actually teach that? Or it's, well, is God really after your good? Or the reverse lingo is like, hey, God, hey, if God is love, he wants you to be happy. Do whatever you want. He doesn't want you to deny yourself. But the whole point of following Jesus is you come to Jesus and you deny yourself and you follow him. Or it's like, man, God just wants me to be, be happy. That's all he wants for me. And I hear, all, I hear that all the time. Like, let's just do whatever we want. And like later on, you'll read a story about how God like destroys the earth with a flood because people were doing whatever they wanted, whatever made them happy. And it did not go well. And then we even question the very nature of good and evil. And if you have a biblical worldview, man, your mind, your heart, your soul is always competing with a more popular worldview. Always. That's fed to us through media, culture, TV, film, people, friends, maybe even family. And the point is this. We face these same temptations every single day. Let's go on reading to verse six. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for getting wisdom, she took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he also ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open, I love this part, and they realized they were naked. So they did what all of us would do in a situation like that, sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves, as you do. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, well, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, smart guy here, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Not a smart guy, actually. Don't we know that all too well? Sorry, going further. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is it that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate it. So this story is known in theology as the fall or where we get the idea of original sin, the first time that sin shows up in the story of the Bible. And what I find fascinating about this is here's man and woman walking around a garden completely naked, okay? The woman is conversing with a snake. If you are the dude, what are you doing? A snake is talking to your girl naked. You step in and you're like, bro, get away from my woman. What are you doing? Like, what, what is going on in this guy's life? And then Eve gives some of the fruit to the man. And what he, like, dude, are you going to lead here? Like, I find it fascinating. The first sin we find in the Bible is because a man does not lead. The woman gives the fruit to the guy. He's like, dude, dude, you need to step up. You need to be like, hey, we are here to work this land. We are here to work it. 
is this fruit worth it? Let me work it. Let me put the fruit down, flip it, and reverse it, okay? Wow. Write that down in your notes right now. That is good. Like, what are you doing, bro? That was, that was pretty good. <laughs> but what are you doing? So what is sin exactly? We're gonna put a working definition up here on the screen. Here's what sin basically is. It's when we take God's garden-like world or our God-given identity and purpose, and out of our own free will, we screw it up. We mess it up. It's the human propensity to just screw things up, mess it up. Like God gives us purpose, identity, a world to thrive in, to flourish, to work, to take care. Here's who you are. Here's what you do. Flourish, thrive. Yeah, I think I have a better way to do this. I'm gonna go with my gut on this one instead. Like I trust myself a little bit more than I trust you, God, and I'm gonna do what I feel is best. And that's what we see here in the story. Because sin has consequences to the earth, to ourselves, to our family, to our community. It has consequences. So let's keep reading here. Verse 14. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. I, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you have listened to your wife, ouch, sisters, come on, ooh, and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. I will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Okay, now this is usually referred to as the curse. So the snake is cursed first and then the ground. But notice, Adam and Eve are not cursed. Never cursed throughout this whole story. There are consequences, but they're certainly not cursed. Like for the woman, the consequences, it's like it's, it's her relationship to her family. Like childbearing is now painful. What used to be joy, pure joy, is now joy mixed with like morning sickness and backaches and like a painful laboring process. That's now what that's going to look like. And we also read that her desire will be for her husband, meaning women will always have a desire from their husbands and their marriage that they just cannot get. Always kind of wanting something a little bit more. That that craving for love and romance will never really satisfy. That your marriage or your husband at times may not seem ever like they're quite enough. Always going to be wanting more. So the woman is looking for family and marriage to satisfy her. And the man is looking for work for satisfaction. For the man, like work is now marked by like painful toil. Like there's, there's frustration, there's stress, 
There's anxiety, there's a commute, there's traffic, there's annoying coworkers, there's a sale that you thought for sure was gonna land and it just doesn't and you're just ticked and you're frustrated. There's meetings that lead to more meetings, there's nasty emails, there's budget meetings, all these sorts of things. And even if you love your job, there's always those days that you just wake up and you're like, oh, do I really have to do this again? I just don't really feel like doing this even more. And the reality is that we are made to work. Work is not a curse. We have a calling from God to create, to cultivate, to use your job and to look at it as a vocation where you could spread the good news of Jesus to the place where you work, to use creativity and to like be led by the Holy Spirit through what you do. Like we are made to do that, but there's times that it's just like, it's just not enough. It's not enough money. I need another bonus. I need more vacation pay. I need more freedom. I need more flexibility. And we all feel that. And it's the reality that we'll always desire something more from our work or from our marriage or from something that we just won't get. And the key to kind of wrapping our minds around this story is that something has gone wrong at a primal gut level in humanity. Like we are just now bent towards the wrong direction, away from what is good and towards what is evil that we continue to do the things that we know we're not supposed to do and we don't do the things that we know we are supposed to do. And some throughout their lives, they just give into this tension, say, forget it, I give up. Am I bent towards this? I'm just gonna go down that path. And others fight it tooth and nail over a lifetime desiring a life of virtue. And it's not easy, not at all. Which is why over time the story actually gets worse and it spirals out of control. Where the first effect that we see of sin is between brothers that they fight and there's violence and there's murder and it affects family and community. And then later you read like in Genesis 4 about a guy named Lamech who had two wives. And then he writes a poem about revenge killing and murders a guy. Like what is going on here? Like, what is taking place? And then later we read like about this flood where it's like God's way of saying like, forget it, let's just start over, I've had it. Like, let's just send down the flood, make this stuff happen. And then the first story we see after the flood is of Noah who plants a vineyard, gets drunk, and then there's this crazy like naked drunk scene with people in his family. It gets really, really kinky and weird, okay? But it's like, there's these ongoing effects of sin. And another point of the story is that we still have a problem. And the problem is just not out there, but the problem is also in here. It's not that if we could just like destroy those people or fix all those problems, then everything will be okay. If we just get the right system or the right government or the right politics in place, then everything will be fixed. And all that's great stuff, but the problem is out there because first and foremost, there's a problem in here. And every four years, here's what happens. A presidential candidate steps up and delivers their plan to fix everything, right? Here's how we're gonna fix the economy. Here's how we're gonna fix jobs. Here's how we're gonna fix crime. Here's how we're gonna fix terrorism. Here's how we're gonna fix the border. Here's how we're gonna fix COVID. Here's how we're gonna fix monkeypox. Here's how we're gonna fix whatever it is, okay? This is what they do. And it's not necessarily all bad, like that's fine. But I've never heard a presidential candidate get up and say, here's the biggest problem we're facing today in the world. The problem is sin. And before we fix that, all this other stuff will continue to be a problem. No one says that because first off, few people would even take them seriously, okay? But that is the biggest problem and the longest standing problem that we have in the world today is a sin problem. So 
How do we recognize that and how do we deal with that? So for today, a few thoughts about this story. Number one is that sin is simply not trusting God's vision for your life. See, the temptation for the woman was to decide for herself what was good and what was evil. Move your trust away from God and toward yourself. See, sin is simply not trusting God and it's not trusting his vision and his plan for your life. Sin is rather trusting your own feelings, trusting your own opinion or popular opinion. Like, look, sin is not bad because it's forbidden, but it is forbidden because it's bad. And we often think of sin as like breaking a rule or like breaking some sort of traffic law or something. Like, like that's good advice, but sometimes it's like, it's okay to maybe do something different. Like that's kind of how we think of sin. Like a few years ago, I'm driving down the road, I'm like in this small construction zone and I see ahead of me a no left turn sign. Like you know those signs like the mark it out, don't turn left kind of thing. Okay, but I need to turn left. That's where I need to go. There's no cars coming towards me. There's no cars behind me. Like, it just makes sense that I should just be able to turn left here. So I do. I turn left. And then what happens, of course, the police, like, they pull me over. I get a ticket for it. And I'm, like, ticked. Because I think, like, yeah, that's maybe good for some people to follow that. There's times that that's okay. But for me, in that situation, it would be perfectly okay for me to turn left, right? And we think of sin as the same way. Like, yeah, it's there and it's good advice and I could see some people needing to do that, but there's times that it's okay for me to break that. Like I had, man, super rough week, rough day. Oh man, come home, whoo, I'm exhausted. I know the the Bible talks against like sexual sin and lust, but a little bit of pornography will be okay. Or man, I know like there's tons of teachings in scripture by Jesus about loving people, especially those that oppose you, those that aren't like you and still serve people. But man, I think God would be okay if I just go postal on this dude right now, right? <laughs> or I know there's a ton of teaching on generosity and giving and trusting God with my finances. I know that, but I trust myself with my finances way better than I trust God. Some people need that, but not me. And that is how we often treat the scriptures. Sin is more like when I tell my nine-year-old son, hey, buddy, no more cookies, okay? It's like eight o'clock at night. You gotta go to bed. You got school in the morning. If you eat more cookies, you're just gonna be up too late. You're gonna wake up exhausted, and it's not gonna be a good day. And then he still sneaks one or two cookies. Flat-out disobedience, okay? Do you not trust my vision for your life? I am your father. You are my son. I know what's best for you, bro. Like, do you not trust me? Why are you just doing this? Like, why are you trying to sneak this stuff? It is not good for you. And when we sin, we sin first and foremost against God. There's like, there's a breach of relationship. And we sin against God's vision for our lives. Like the teachings of Jesus, the commands of God are not just the right way to live but they are the best way to live. Like if you wanna thrive and flourish and glow in this life, then you live the ways of Jesus. And if we never get that, the odds are is that we will always struggle with sin. Like we wanna think the best way to combat sin is just having self-control. 
I'm just gonna white knuckle my way through this. I'm not gonna give in. I'm not gonna do it. And that's, there's a time and a place for that, sure. But at the end of the day, it's about faith. It's about who do you believe? Who do you trust? That snake inside your head? Or do you trust that God has the best for you? Who do you trust? So one, sin is not trusting God's vision for your life. And second, sin has devastating consequences. And we see what happens when humans take freedom in the wrong direction. And what you see is that sin is its own punishment. Like God rarely has to do anything to show us the consequences of sin. Sinning alone is its own consequence. And obedience alone is its own reward. Like there's this famous line in scripture that says, for the wages of sin is death. Ooh. Now that's not saying that if you sin, God's gonna kill you. But it's saying that sin does kill. It destroys like relationships, yeah. destroys communities, it destroys families. There's, it has natural consequences that naturally spill out to our society. And we live in a highly individualistic society, yeah. maybe here in Northern California than anywhere else in the world actually. But our society's model, hey, whatever's good for you, cool. And whatever's good for me is cool, okay? As long as we don't hurt each other. As long as like, like everything is fine as if there's not or not supposed to be a ripple effect to our life, to our friend's life, to our family, to our community, to our city, to our region, to our state, to our country, as if that doesn't even happen. And many are here as a product, like you know this all too well. You are a product of maybe a family member, a mom or a dad that struggled with, with abuse and addiction and you've seen the ripple effects of other people that has, has happened in your life, and you know, you know those consequences all too well, because sin affects all of those around us. Yeah. And if you're a parent, you know this all too well. Like when my parents were babies, like it was, or my parents, when my kids were babies, <laughs> my, my parents were babies, we'll see, okay? But <laughs> when my kids were babies, it was exhausting, but it was pretty easy. It was pretty straightforward. You know, it's like rock to sleep, feed, wipe your butt. Repeat, okay? Rock to sleep, feed, wipe your butt. But now that my kids are older, it is, man, it is hard. Especially my 16-year-old daughter, it is tough. Like, it's like, it's way more fun, less exhausting, but way, way more complicated. It's like, Dad, why can't I watch Euphoria? All my friends are. And then you do the parent thing, like, well, if all your friends jumped off a cliff, would you too? Like, you know, you say stupid stuff. It's like, Dad, come on, okay? And it's like, you've never seen it, so how do you know it's bad? It's like, well, I've never smoked crack, but I know that's bad too, okay? It's like, yeah, we've all, we've all done that. But, but the hardest part is this, like my sin or my propensity towards certain sin live on in my children. And I have great kids, but I see my bent towards like cynicism and I'm like a skeptic kind of at heart. And sometimes I have a lack of patience for people. And I definitely see that live on in my children as well. But the point is this, is that my sin or my propensity towards things has a ripple effect and consequences that spread. And that's the point of this story. So one, it's not trusting God's vision for your life. Two, it has devastating consequences. And finally, number three, Jesus is our only hope to overcome sin and its consequences. And I know that sounds cliche, and I know that sounds like no duh, but I think the reality is, is he is our one and only hope. 
And most people believe that there's a problem. Less and less people believe that sin is the problem. And even less people believe that Jesus is the answer and the hope to the problem. And I think we see this play out like in a political realm almost more than anything. Like both the right and the left work off of false assumptions that with the right form of government, we can create our own garden-like world. And it's either more government, more programs, or less government, more free market, but neither side wants to talk about the problem of sin in the human heart. And I think like government and politics, like all that stuff is, is, is great and it should be debated, but it's not heaven on earth. And it never will be. Like Jesus is the one and only who can deal with the root of the problem. You see, we, we read this crazy line, this prophecy in verse 15, where it says, he, Jesus, will crush your head, stamp out evil once and for all, and you will strike his heel. So this victory will come with a price, will come with some pain. But notice this. The first thing God does after the fall, curses the snake and promises Jesus. I love that. I love that one day Jesus will come to defeat the snake once and for all. That Yeah, there are consequences to our sin here on earth, but the eternal consequence is no more once you put your trust in Jesus. That you have hope for eternity in Jesus. And in the meantime, look what God does in verse 21, chapter three. It says, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. This is why this is so important. See, in the ancient Near East, if you were to sin against your family, if you were to sin against the master, they would throw you out of the house and throw out your clothes, take your clothes from you and say, get out of our house, you no longer belong here. How dare you? But there were times that the master would say, even though you sinned, I actually have new clothes for you. I want you to put on these clothes as a symbol and as a sign that you still belong here, that you still remain in this family. That is who you are. That is your identity. God clothes Adam and Eve as a sign and a symbol to say, you still belong here. You are still my children. I still love you. And finally, notice after their sin, Adam and Eve are hiding from God. But God is seeking Adam and Eve. And how often do we have it backwards? We think because we sin, God is hiding from us. But God is not the one hiding. Often we are. God is the one seeking. You see, religion says, I messed up. I better hide. That is not good news. That is good fake news. But what the gospel teaches is that I messed up. I sinned. I better run to Jesus right now. That is what I need to, that is what is God is like. And the beauty is that even though sin is painful, has consequences, God is still seeking us, wanting relationship with us, saying, here are some clothes for you because you still belong with me and I want you to be a part of this family. Yeah. We're gonna put another picture up here. This is one of my family. This was our family picture that we do every two years. This was taken about two years ago. So we have another one coming up in about a month or two but I want you to imagine something with me. Let's say we're getting ready in a couple months for our pictures as a family. We got like our outfits picked out and they all match and they're all great and everything. We're ready to go, but I can't find my son anywhere. Like Ryson, where are you, buddy? 
Like, we, we got these pictures. We got our family pictures. Let's go. I can't find him. He's hiding. We're searching the house. We're looking everywhere. Finally, I find him. And I'm like, buddy, what are you doing? We gotta go. I got your clothes for you, for our family pictures. And then imagine if he said this, you know, dad, I, I can't do it. I can't go and I can't be a part of the family picture. It's not gonna happen this year. I'm like, why? Well, you know, the whole cookie situation, like I stole those. Uh, I purposely, you know, yell at my sister and, and, and annoy her on purpose. I yelled at mom a couple times. I got really, really mad at her. I just, you know, I'm to the point, dad, I've just been thinking I'm, I'm no longer worthy to be part of this family because of all the things that I've done. I'd be like, whoa, hold on a second. You are not my son by worth. You are my son by birth. Worth has nothing to do with it, nothing. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to get these clothes on that I have for you that shows you you are a part of this family in this family picture. You put those on. And then you're gonna meet us downstairs. We're gonna get in the car. We're gonna take the ride down to get our family pictures. And we're gonna, we're gonna do the one where we're all holding hands when we're walking towards the camera, smiling, okay? We're gonna do the one where we're all holding hands walking backwards, but look back at the camera, okay? You guys, you guys know what I'm talking about. We're, we're even, hey, we're gonna go all out this year. We're gonna do the one where we're like walking and we pretend someone says something funny and we all laugh, okay? Like that's all, we, we might even do one sitting down together, okay? This is gonna be intense. So here's what you're gonna do. Get these on, let's go get our pictures taken. Then you're gonna come home and you're gonna swim in the pool in the backyard. You're gonna jump on the trampoline. You're gonna eat our food. You're gonna play with your toys. And if you even want screen time, you could have screen time today, okay? Because you are a part of this family, not by worth, but by birth. Worth has nothing to do with it. And you may say, wow, that sounds, sounds great. But you don't know what I've done. It hasn't been like, I haven't stolen cookies. It's been way worse than that. It's not that I've yelled at my sister or my mom. Like, it is crazy stuff what I've done. I love this quote by Kevin DeYoung, where he says, God knows everything. So why not run to him and tell him all the things that he already knows? I love that. And no matter what you've done, no matter what it is, I bet if you run to Jesus today, he'd wrap his arms around you and embrace you. And he would say, you are not my child by worth. You are my child by birth. Here's, I want to embrace you and love you. Here's the clothes of grace and mercy and love that I have for you. Put this on and represent me as a child of God wherever you go. Because my hope is when I continue to embrace my son and my daughter and my family and I love on them and that, that they, they step into their identity more and more and more, that they will reflect that in what they do. Like the more grace that God gives us, the more we want to reflect his identity through our lives, being a representative of the family of God. That's what he would say to you. Like there's this crazy line in Romans chapter two that says, it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. Some of you need to hear that today, that God wants to embrace you and love you and clothe you with the goodness of his love. Trust him for his identity. Trust God's vision for your life. Lean into Jesus today. If you guys could stand with me, we're gonna pray together. Then we're gonna worship God. God, we thank you for today. Lord, for those that are here that may think that they are too far from you, that God, they would run to you today. You run to them and you embrace them and you show them how much you love them and how much you care for them. 
And God, you would clothe them with your love and your forgiveness and your grace, that they would find hope and salvation and peace and joy in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to the Project Church Podcast. We pray and hope that this message encouraged you, built you up, and gave you life. We want to ask that you would invest right now in what God is doing here in downtown Sacramento. We've just recently moved in to our all-new building in the waterfront, Old Sacramento District. We want to ask you, if you'd like to give, you can go to projectchurch.com forward slash give to invest. Let's see all that God can do through us.